I often uh, hear people say that they would um, believe in God if they saw a, a miracle. Let me give you a nicer picture. They'd believe in God if they saw a miracle. Miracles seem to occur in the pages of the Bible, but why not here? Like uh, doubting Thomas, they say they would they'd definitely become Christians if they saw the risen Jesus. But um, Jesus has uh, risen and gone long ago into heaven and where are the miracles today? Well, if such a person was uh, here today, I'll tell you what I'd say to them. I'd say, if you want to see a miracle, look around you. There are many lives here that have been transformed. Each one a miracle. But actually, more than that, the the fact that that this group of people come together, not just for a good time on Sunday mornings, but to care for one another in good times and in bad, to work tirelessly for the the glory of Christ, to bring the love of Christ to uh, the world around us, That is a miracle of amazing proportions. Search throughout this city and you will find no other group which is gathering which is anything like this one apart from other churches. Um, Our Muslim friends congregate in large numbers and they care but they are culturally monochrome and they care only for those within the group. One of the characteristics of the churches throughout this city and this world is that they care for one another, but they care as well for those beyond their walls, beyond themselves. And in this city you will find people in ones and twos doing that and doing good things. But nowhere will you find gatherings of people who gather together regularly to be encouraged to serve one another and to serve the world of this proportion. It's almost become a routine these days for me to hear observers of of, um, of this church and others sometimes um, expressing astonishment at the care that is given to people by, um, by, by this community. And make no mistake about it, that is a miracle. We've been uh, looking at Isaiah 56 to uh, 66 um, over the last couple of weeks and we saw that these chapters come at a certain point in Israel's history. Israel was supposed to have been a model, outward-looking community which displayed the glory of God to the whole world And Israel had failed. But as Israel stumbled blindly towards God's judgment and towards oblivion, the prophets, most particularly Isaiah, begin to see that there is a future hope beyond the failure of the nation of Israel. Chapters 1 to 39 of Isaiah, we said, focus around... Isaiah's visions of a new king, a God king, who will come and will lead his people, this time people from all over the world, 
as a renewed community. And then we said that chapters 40 to 55 of Isaiah focus um, in turn not on the God-King but on a God-like servant who will come and suffer for the sins of people from every tribe and nation so that they can become not only a renewed community but a forgiven community, a community of people forgiven by God. Isaiah, you see, saw Jesus. He saw Jesus the God-King, the leader of that renewed community. He saw Jesus the God-like servant, the Son of God, suffering and dying for um, people so that we could be a forgiven community, the church. And by the time we get to Isaiah 56 to 66, in one sense, there's nothing new to add to that. Two weeks ago we saw at the beginning of chapter 56, Isaiah simply issues a call. You've seen the God King, you've seen the suffering servant, now everybody, come to him, come to God, form that new community. No one, no matter what nation they come, to, come from, what, no matter what background they personally have, no one is barred from coming to God now and forming that new community. But then last week we saw, as we surveyed those uh, chapters up to uh, the end of chapter 59, we saw something shocking. Despite all that Isaiah has, um, has proclaimed to the nation of Israel, far from coming to God, far from, from repenting and turning to him and starting at last to form the community that uh, uh, had always been God's attention, they are playing at religion. Leaders and people pretending to come to God. But actually, we saw their lives were filled with injustice and godlessness. But in the middle of those chapters, we saw that God says, Far from coming just in judgment, he's going to come and he's going to do something new. He's going to actually transform their hearts. Just glance back with me at Isaiah 57 to remind us what we saw last week. Verse 18. I have seen his ways, that's the ways of the nation of Israel, ways of injustice and uh, oppression. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will guide him and restore comfort to him, creating praise on the lips of the mourners in Israel. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. God is going to do a new act We said it is an act of recreation. He creates praise on the lips of his people in the same way that he created the universe in the first place. Same word. He's not only going to provide the king, Jesus, to rule. He's not only going to provide the suffering servant, Jesus, 
to die for our sins. He's going to do something not only for us but in us. He's going to create praise in our lip, on our lips. And then uh, um, now from Isaiah 60 onwards, Isaiah is going to start explaining and unpacking in more detail what God intends to do amongst us. First of all, in Isaiah 60, let's uh, um, see with clarity what God intends to do for us. He intends, says Isaiah, to shine his light on us. Did you see that in verse 1? Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you. His glory appears over you. The, 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 um, uh, the New Testament draws on Isaiah's imagery um, from these two verses again and again to explain to us what it means to become a Christian. God, when we become a Christian, God opens our eyes. God lets us see his glory, the, the glory of Jesus. It's like, it's like a sunrise on a summer morning. It's like moving from darkness where we're groping around and cannot see to the beautiful glory of a new day when suddenly we can see with clarity. For instance, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that was, God spoke those words right at the beginning of his creation when he created light. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what it means to become a Christian. That is the miracle that God does in us. It was a miracle at the beginning of time when God spoke, saying, let there be light, and there was light. And it's a miracle in each one of our hearts when he speaks and says, let there be light in her heart his heart, their hearts. And there is light. And that light comes from Christ. It is the light of the Gospel which reveals the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God in the face of Christ. What happens when we become Christians is suddenly we see God, suddenly we see Christ for who he is, and we are entranced by that. We are captivated by that. We see for the first time. You may be here, sitting here wondering what I'm talking about. <coughs> well, you, you can see this community of, uh, of Christians is perhaps a miracle or at least a bit of a surprise in our modern secular day see all the things that the people here do, you'd be even more surprised. But this 
idea of the glory of God rising upon us, it just sounds like gobbledygook. Well, let, let me say, it actually does until it happens to you. That is a real experience that has happened to every single person who is a Christian here. But it is not something that that can be fully known until it happens to you, until God shines his light into your heart. You cannot describe the glories of nature to a blind person. cannot describe the glory of what it means to know the living God to someone who has not seen him. But you can see how it affects people. You can see what it means to other people. You can ask God to do it in your heart. But only God can do it. I I can preach my heart out. We as a community can serve and love and speak of Jesus and live as a community um, uh, to the end of time, but it will be useless without God's creative work. We need to pray. If you want that experience for yourself, you need to pray for it because only God can give it. Peter 1 verse 19 suggests one other thing that we can do. We can read God's word asking God to illuminate it to us. He says, we have the words, we Christians, we who live after Jesus, we have the the words of the prophets made more certain And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We can pray. We can can study God's word. We can seek for God to illuminate our hearts. We cannot do it ourselves, but I tell you there is nothing we need more and nothing more glorious that can happen to us. That's what God intends to do for us, to shine his light into our hearts. Then Isaiah focuses much more on what God intends to do through us who have come to know him. He intends not only to shine his light on us, but to create light in us which attracts the world. Do you see that? Verse uh, 3, Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes, look about you, all assemble, come to you from afar. Your sons come from afar, your daughters are carried on the arm. As Jesus put it to his disciples, you are the light of the world, a city on on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Look at how Isaiah describes this process then of light now shining from God's people. Uh, Nations, he says, will bring their wealth. 
to God's people. Verse 6, Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All of these people, bringing their riches, will come to worship the living God. All Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar and I will adorn my glorious temple. Image then of all the nations bringing their wealth, propelled actually, says Isaiah, by, a, by an invisible force like, like homing pigeons or like clouds that scud across the, the sky. Verse 8, who are these that flurry, fly along like clouds, like doves to their nests? Uh, he says, surely the islands look to me in the lead of the ships of Tarshish. They come from the islands, from the farthest reaches of the world, says Isaiah. Like prodigal sons from a far country, like wayward daughters coming back to their father's arm. Um, they are assembling, says Isaiah in verse 4. They are gathering as God's people. They are, to use New Testament terminology, becoming a church. And as this global new community forms and brings its wealth and energy and vitality to worship God, they are filled with joy. You will look, verse 5, and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. That actually never happened in Isaiah's lifetime. He was looking beyond his day, far beyond his day. He was looking towards today and beyond today to eternity. Today, that is happening. Isaiah says in verse 4, Lift up your eyes, look about you, all assemble and come to you. And we could say today, look, lift up your eyes, look about you. In, at China, where millions are flocking to Christ. Or lift up your eyes and look at Africa, where now the, 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 um, there are so many Africans that the um, African Anglicans alone that the archbishops of Kampala and Nairobi are far more significant than any archbishop in this country. Lift up your eyes and look at Iran, where despite the Ayatollahs, there are probably more Iranian Christian believers today than there have ever been in history. There are thousands upon thousands of Iranians becoming Christians. Lift up your eyes. Look here, actually. We're a tiny drop in the ocean, a tiny little little bit of what God is doing in the, in the world. But pilgrims are coming home here. They are assembling. Their hearts are beginning to throb with joy. We have numbers of people who are uh, um, contemplating baptism at the moment. Numbers more who are wanting to study their Bibles from all sorts of different nations because they are being drawn like those homing pigeons, like those clouds scudding across the sky towards the light of God's community, which is the light of God. That is what God is doing through us. 
And when these uh, pilgrims come home, they too will contribute to the building of a new community. Verse 10, foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Um, Or uh, uh, at the heart of the city that they are rebuilding will be a new temple. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the pine, the fir and the cypress together to adorn the place of my sanctuary and I will glorify the place of my feet. Isaiah is actually remembering a detail in the history of Israel. When the first temple was built, um, the wood used and some of the craftsmen um, uh, came from Lebanon. (coughs) The nations were involved in building Israel's first temple. A fascinating... uh, a little um, uh, anticipation of what God would finally do when actually the nations would be the key players in building God's new temple. Isaiah sees it as a physical entity, but we who see the fulfilment of these things know that what he was glimpsing, what he was just catching a tiny glimpse of, was the building of God's new community, which needed no walls, and needed no building. A community of people from every tribe and nation gathered to worship God. This is a new community which surpasses any other community that has ever been built. Instead of, verse 17, instead of bronze I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood I will bring you bronze and iron in place of stones. I will make peace your governor, righteousness your ruler. It will be a community characterised by salvation and praise. Verse 18. No longer will violence be heard in your land or ruin or destruction within your borders. You will call your walls salvation, your gates praise. And it will be a community supremely which enjoys the everlasting light of God's presence. Verse 19, The sun will no, not, no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, your God will be your glory, your sun will never set again, your moon will wane no more, the Lord will be your everlasting light, your days of sorrow will end. And why? Why is God going to do that? Why is God going to create create this extraordinary new community? Well, there are many reasons in Scripture, but look at the one in verse 21 that Isaiah picks out. They are a shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendour. God does all of this to display his glory, his splendour his beauty to the world. That's Isaiah's vision then. God intends to shine his light into our hearts and then as he does that, he will radiate light in turn to all people forming a new community to display his glory, his splendour to the world. Now, I want, want this morning us to understand three things about this vision. Many of you will remember um, 
that we looked at this passage about nine months ago as we considered God calling to us as a a community. Let me say um, three things. Um, Three important truths that we need to grasp, I think, if we are to continue to have this vision that Isaiah sets before us in our hearts. First thing is, we must be realistic. This is, in its fullness, our final destiny. We will not see the fullness of this in this life. The Bible makes that very, very clear. At the end of the Bible, there is a description of God's final work in which Christ returns at the end of history, brings history to an end, he judges the living and the dead, and he creates a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and a new earth and populates it with his people from every, uh, uh, from every age. And, and, and drawing on the imagery that uh, um, comes from Isaiah 60, again and again and again, in this final new community, he, he, he picks up elements of this, um, Im- this imagery in Isaiah 60. Nations and kings, for instance, coming into God's kingdom. The gates of the city are described in both Isaiah 60 and in uh, um, Revelation 21 at the end of the Bible as standing open always because um, a city had walls and gates to protect it, particularly at night. There would be a moment when the gates were closed so that um, uh, foes could not get in. But this city will be so secure it will not need to close its gates. Says Isaiah. Says John at the end of Revelation as he tries to help us to picture what it means in eternity to be God's perfected community. Most especially, Revelation 21 and 22 describes the sun being replaced by the radiance of God's presence. Now what Isaiah has begun to describe in chapter 60 here only gets partially fulfilled here amongst us. We must be realistic about that. If you're a Christian here, then uh, you and I will need to continue to ask for God's forgiveness, to uh, work hard, and to recognise that we will at times fail. We do not going to get despondent because we are assured in Scripture that God who has begun that work will bring it to completion. We are promised the final fullness in eternity. New heaven and the new earth. The fullness of enjoying the light of God. The fullness of living in a harmonious community. The fullness of living in a new creation. Remember, this is your final destiny. Do not let your head go down because you fail sometimes. Hold it up high because you know God has started you on that path.
We so far have only the tiniest taste, the, the, the brief, briefest glimpse. We are, the land has uh, loomed over the horizon, but we're still on the high seas. We're still eating ship's briskets, fr- frankly. We're still contained in the limited uh, structure of the boat which, to- which is tossed to and fro. But the man on the crow's nest has cried, Land ahoy! It's there, it's coming, it's going to be great. We are heading there. Be encouraged. Isaiah saw not only what has happening now, but the fullness of what will happen in eternity. Be realistic as well that the present is hard work. God has created this community to bless his world, but it is not without our efforts. We are sinners, aren't we? I am a sinner. I need daily forgiveness from God and from you. And so do you. We each carry in our hearts as well enough sinful dynamite to blow the church apart. Woe betide us if we do. The Apostle says if anyone destroys God's church, God will destroy him. But we can do it. It is hard work, isn't it? To live together as God's people, as God intends us to do. Do you harbour a grudge here? But if you harbour it, it will fester and one day it will burst out. Do you think you can behave in an irresponsible way because other people will just um, always forgive you? Well, you are damaging the community and one day God will bring you down. Are you just neglectful and thoughtless of others and make very little effort to really live, to make this local community a community which displays the glory of Jesus. Well, you will drift apart from the body, the body body will be damaged and you yourself will find yourself living a half-life. You will be hurt. We can easily just slump down into the metaphorical armchair of our own self-pity or our own self-obsession or our own self-glorification or just our own laziness. And uh, uh, Jesus says to that two words at the beginning of Isaiah 60, Arise, shine. That's what he says. Arise, get up. Shine. God has shone the light of his gospel into your your heart. Now shine. This church is absolutely full of people who have done that hard work, who are doing that hard work. And you know with me, it is hard work, isn't it? Our calling is extraordinarily great. It is glorious. It is tough. But you know, the work may not be exactly what you think it is. 
I think it's very clear in this uh, passage of scripture that the work is primarily to know God. Last summer we introduced a statement of purpose and vision as a church, didn't we? We said that it could be summed up in uh, a couple of phrases. Our, our, our vision, our purpose on this earth is to um, is delighting in God, displaying his glory. We expanded that statement to say we believe God has brought us together to, del- uh, to delight in him displaying the glory of Jesus in the power of the Spirit through word, service and community to the peoples of East Oxford and the world. God has brought us together to delight in him, displaying the glory of Jesus in the power of the Spirit through word, service and community to the peoples of East Oxford and the world. And we were absolutely explicit there that the first thing God has brought us to is delighting in him. And we were also absolutely explicit that there is a connection, an intimate connection, between delighting in him and displaying his glory in word, service and community, all the things that we do. The one leads to the other. As we learn to delight in God, as we learn to see God, then we too will display the glory of Jesus in everything we do. The work is to know God, to enjoy God. He has shone his light into our hearts, so shine. He has shone light and created light. I'm absolutely delighted nine months later, I have to say, that 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 vision has caught hold of us. It is a glorious and liberating vision. It is a profoundly, I am persuaded, biblical vision. Our first duty is to know and enjoy God. Other things will flow from that. But it's still hard work, isn't it? Let me give you an encouragement to finish. The Hebrew word, actually, that uh, is translated arise, the beginning of Isaiah 60, is a little word, literally the word kum. It appears again in the New Testament, actually untranslated by Mark one of those little moments when Mark wants to tell us exactly the words that Jesus said. He said it in a specific context. He was taken to the bedside of a dead little girl and he bent over her and he said, Talitha, kum, which means little girl arise now I strongly suspect that Mark wanted us to know the exact words that Jesus said because Mark remembered Isaiah 60 
kum arise when Jesus says arise dead people rise when God in Isaiah 60 says arise we who are spiritually dead arise God will do it God says to your heart arise and that is not just uh, a uh, hopeful call it is a command that our heart will respond to it's hard work but I tell you God is doing that miracle God will continue to do that miracle. He will create a new community. He will let you arise.